Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. In truth, I really didn't want the album to be about old songs. You know, it's it's a greatest hits album, but to me, most greatest hits albums are boring. You know, and I wanted to keep creating. You know, the new songs are very different. They're very autobiographical. I mean, they came from my heart. They're about myself. They're not my songs anymore, is the way I feel. They belong to everybody now. While touring the world for over a year, in August of 1993, Michael Jackson was being investigated after allegations of child molestation were made. During a stop in Russia, new collaborator and band member Brad Buxer was called into Michael's hotel room. Here abandoning my fame Stranger in Moscow was written when I was in Moscow on the Dangerous Tour. And it was just a strange, eerie, lonely time for me. Outside my hotel was just a sea of faces of, of fans chanting and screaming. But I was inside my room and I felt so all alone, like I was like the last person on the planet. Buxer on keys, Michael on vocal. His writing reflected his life at the time. Stranger in Moscow is perhaps Michael's most intelligent song. It juxtaposes Russian history and culture with the internal turmoil he was grappling with. It's a rare example of an introspective assessment so directly articulated in his discography, as much as it allows the listener to emote with their own interpretations. Around this time, Michael and his team were also working on the soundtrack for the Sonic 3 Sega game. This would be the uncredited platform where the basic composition would make its debut. Eventually, Jackson's involvement in the project would dissipate and to this day, Sega denies his involvement in the game despite glaring similarities, credited musicians and confirmation from the producers themselves. In spite of what else would end up on the next Michael Jackson album, Stranger in Moscow marks the beginning of a new era. 
It sets a high standard of artistry that would be maintained without struggle, at least in the studio. In January of 1994, technical work would begin on what would be a Michael Jackson greatest hits album. It would be Michael's return after a brief hiatus from a media onslaught, drug addiction, and allegations of child sex abuse. The compilation was to feature some new songs, as was the case with the initial concept of Decade four years before, which would evolve into the entirely new album Dangerous. The work for these new songs would begin at the Hit Factory in New York, where longtime collaborators Bruce Wadian and Renee Moore would prepare instrumental tracks, while Michael and Brad would work at Sony Studios. During the early Dangerous album sessions, Jackson began work on They Don't Care About Us. How much of its completion was achieved at that point is unknown, but even for Dangerous, its aggressive political subject matter arguably would have felt out of place. For history, though, its feature would be more than appropriate. With Brad Buxer by his side, they started the song entirely from scratch, laying its vigorous rhythm as the track's framework. The song itself is simple, if not for its individual sounds. A relentless driving kick drum, along with its mechanised double claps, are the song's primary rhythmic foundation. Adding Michael's vocal ticks and beatboxing, processed with some other sound effects, gives it a much fuller sound that, down to its individual components, makes it a Michael Jackson song. Bruce Wadian would embrace Jackson's rhythmic interpretations early in his career, making it an essential part of almost any production, even with other producers and engineers. Inducing feelings of hopelessness and despair to accompany the song's lyrics, the only other primary instrument throughout is the synthesized strings. That is, until the instrumental bridge, made up of roughly 300 raw individual tracks. Initially, the guitars were played by Slash and Trevor Rabin, embedded in the keyboards of Jeff Bova and Jason Miles. Towards the end of production, it became apparent that the notes they were playing were not consistent with the rest of the song. As a result, it was up to assisting engineer Rob Hoffman. About halfway through the project, Michael realized that those weren't the notes he wanted exactly. Brad said, it's okay, we'll fix it. Michael left for the day and Eddie and Brad turned to me and said, there's a guitar in the lounge, so I had to play that guitar part. Michael's character vents his frustrations at institutional injustices that afflict the world, with himself as the victim in the protests. He's the casualty of verbal slanders and physical brutality, describing so in words that some might consider profane and others did believe to be objectionable. Never break me, will me, thrill me, you can never kill me, chew me, sue me, everybody. 
everybody do me, kick me, kick me, don't you black and white me. Those anti-Semitic lyrics in Michael Jackson's song, They Don't Care About Us, have haunted him for some months now. He claims to have changed the lyrics on the record and in the videos for the song. But the controversy has followed him halfway around the world to Monaco, where E.T.'s Mark Steinis has the exclusive on Michael trying to make amends. The controversy over the lyrics was significant enough that in later pressings of the album, the obstructive sound effects would be overdubbed to drown out the three instances, and the second of which the background vocals are turned down. This is a rare case of Jackson's provocative artistry making headlines rather than his speculated private life. It's perhaps reflective of an early backlash culture that holds so much power today. A reactionary response to words, ignoring their context. Michael Jackson was standing up for those in the song who would later use it against him. I'm not a racist person. I could never be a racist. I love all races of people. But when I say Jew me, sue me, everybody do me, kick me, kike me, don't you black or white me, I'm talking about myself as the victim. Despite all of these introspective and socially conscious songs being worked on, one morning, Michael enters the studio with an even more unique idea. She was there just sitting at the table Thinking now that things won't be the same And would you like to go with me? And she answered no to me But I guess I'll learn my lesson much too soon In 1982, two songs were registered at the US Copyright Office One titled Learn My Lesson and the other Much Too Soon it's unknown if these are one and the same songs, or even resemble this recording 12 years later, but given the content of their respective titles, it would seem rational to assume so. Take away this never-ending sorrow Take this lonely feeling from my soul If only I knew what things bring tomorrow She'd be sitting here beside me And my heart wouldn't be cold da, 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 da. The track itself is unlike anything Michael has released. He sits with guitarist Jeff Mironov in the recording booth, 
playing a very simple, repetitive guitar composition as Michael sings. They do this for only a handful of takes. Even the vocal comp is an interesting turn for Michael, in that it's full of imperfections, at least for one of his recordings. I hope to make a change now for the better. The track levels are all over the place in terms of its dynamic range and feature a myriad of unintentional noises on the mic. And I'm hoping that my prayers will see the day that you'll come back to me, but I guess I learned my lesson much too soon. The guitar and vocal tracks were given to Brad Buxer and Jeff Grace for further work so they would build a string and choir arrangement around it. Bruce Woodian completed a mix that Michael approved of, and the song was complete. And would you like to go with me? And she answered no to me, but I guess I learned my lesson much too soon. Take away this never-ending sorrow. Take this lonely feeling from my soul If only I knew what things bring tomorrow She'd be sitting here beside me And my heart would then be cold da -da 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 -da. While it was never seriously considered for the impending projects or what they became, it would see a release 16 years later. In spite of the fact a version was completed and approved by Michael, its released form saw a remix and added recompositions. Here's a song that we were doing called Much Too Soon. Michael writes this note to me, Bruce. Mix number nine is great. I hope to make a change now for the better Never letting fate control my soul and I'm hoping that my prayers will see the day that you'll come back to me. But I guess I'll learn my lesson much too soon. Ooh. Much Too Soon reflects a rare and brief moment in Jackson's artistry, which didn't involve over-the-top refinement or a series of reconsiderations. As a result, this gem exists. Unfortunately, most will hear it covered in the fingerprints of those who saw imperfections that weren't there. Yes, I guess I learned my lesson much too soon. Michael continued venting his frustrations at what had transpired in the previous years, although most of the content he created was brooding. It was time to project a broader fuck you, in Michael's words. Money. So you call it trust, but I say it's just in the devil's game of greed and lust. They don't care. They do me for the money. They don't care. They use me for the money. So you go to church, read the holy word. In the scheme of life, it's all absurd. They don't care. Upon first listen, money might come across as a naive and hypocritical criticism of the richest figures in society. It's actually about those who use Jackson for money. Spitting rhymes of treachery and avarice, he expresses the varying justifications he suspects others might use to rationalise their actions. I'll never betray or deceive you, my friend, but... If you show me the cash, then I will take it. If you take it, 
The collaborations are another point of interest. Of course, Michael was at the helm of the songs that meant the most to him, this one included. But in addition to the assisting Brad Buxer, there were some more surprising decisions. First, the always funky guitar of Niall Rogers. I got a phone call from Michael Jackson. He was relentless. He called over and over and over again. Finally, I said, okay, Michael, I'll come and play on the record. This was the record called History. He says, okay. I came, it took me about 10 minutes to play the part because Michael knew exactly what he wanted. And then as I was leaving, he says, now, can we talk for a minute? And then we sat there and we talked for hours and hours and hours. In addition to the engagement of a longtime friend, he also utilised the iconic Norman Cook sample CD, Skip To My Loops. Michael built the bulk of the song around track 10, Simon's Special 2, and overdubbing snares, claps, and other percussion samples that elevated the original loop. The song would be divided by another loop, Simon's Special 1, that preceded the other on the CD. Jackson was a master at his background vocals. He perfected them. He acknowledged their power and used them for their absolute sonic potential. For money though, he sought after something different. There are four other guys doing little background parts, not in the not in the lush singing background, but in the in the verses. Insurance, where do your loyalties lie? Is that your alibi? I don't think so. You don't care. You do it for the money. Say it's there. I don't know who they are. We, we had them in for one afternoon and then they were gone. I'm like, who are those guys? Where did they go? And does anybody know that they're singing on that song? In 1993, Michael admitted himself to drug rehabilitation following years of using painkillers. I wish to convey my deepest gratitude for your love and support. I am doing well and I am strong. As you may already know, after my tour ended, I remain out of the country undergoing treatment for a dependency on pain medication. This medication was initially prescribed to see the excruciating pain that I was suffering after recent reconstructive surgery on my scalp. In March of 1994, Nine Inch Nails released their second album, The Downward Spiral. It was a musical revolution. It brought industrial rock to the mainstream. 
paving the way for artists like Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie. And Michael Jackson loved it. Reflecting on those more turbulent, drug-induced times, Michael needed a genre that represented the intensity of everything that comes with drug addiction, and even worse, ceasing it. Using samples from the 1980 film The Elephant Man, it would seem almost like a self-assessment for Michael, having identified with Joseph Merrick, whom the film is based on. Unfortunately, this piece of self-reflection, while sending a powerful message to anyone who listens, wouldn't be enough for its writer. Michael was on a roll. There was no stopping the quality that he was expelling. He felt it was best to continue with his current consistent output to produce a full album. For this, the project expanded, employing more producers to realise his ultimate vision. Michael was a big fan of his sister Janet's work. So much so, he appealed her producers Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis to collaborate on Dangerous. While that never eventuated, this time was different. Jam and Lewis were now successfully recruited to put the brother and sister together for a duet, initially presenting three songs to Janet, one of which she hoped Michael wouldn't work on. despite its impressionistic, tailored guide vocal. It would be recorded by Janet, though, becoming a smash in several countries around the world on her greatest hits album, Design of a Decade. We worked with Michael Jackson on a song called Scream that he did. It was a duet with Janet. In the five or six rooms, he had people working in every individual room doing different songs. And uh, we were so blessed to have him walk into our room and he liked the song that we had written and he wanted to record it, but he didn't record it right there. He took a copy of it, he went home, he studied it, and we waited for two days for him to return. Well, when he walked into the room, he started singing, he gave so much energy and so much passion in that hour and a half it took him to record the entire song. Don't give me, you wanna scream. 
Sometimes the only thing we can do is scream. <laughs> Don't you ever feel that way? You just want to just let it all out. People should listen. I remember going into the studio and Michael just blew it away. First take. Just killed it. Michael goes, I want to come to Minneapolis and redo my vocal. It's like, Michael, your vocal's perfect, man. He's like, no, no, I got to redo. Now Janet sounds really good. I have to redo my vocal. And it's like, okay, fine. You're such delusion. Don't need me. You want to scream. Man, you want to scream. What's unconventional about the way Michael records are the sounds he makes. If you're recording a vocal, that's the only thing you should be recording. When Bruce Wadeen first started working with him, his attitude was to embrace it. That's how you know it's a Michael Jackson vocal. Michael had granted the world a new perspective on his life in an interview with Oprah in 1993. It was the first time he had addressed the issues of a lacking normality in his upbringing and the effect it would have on him. Especially now, I come to realize, and then, I would do my schooling, which was three hours with a tutor. Then right after that, I'd go to the recording studio and record for hours and hours till it was time to go to sleep. And I remember going to the recording studio. There was a, a park across the street, and I'd see all the children playing and making noise, and I would cry. It'd make me sad that I would have to go and work instead. Have you seen my childhood? I'm searching for the world that I come from Cause I've been looking around And lost and found of my heart No one understands me With the writing space he was in, it was time to put that pain into a song. He began working on a track to be later titled Childhood. As I did in front of 100 million people since the age of five, you're automatically different. My childhood was completely taken away from me. There was no Christmas, there was no birthdays, it was not a normal childhood, no normal pleasures of childhood. Those were exchanged for hard work, struggle and pain. I cannot recreate that part of my life. Before you judge me, Oh, 
Foster had worked with Mike Warner's Off The Wall album 15 years earlier. For the History Project, he was requested his angelic string compositions to be added to Earth Song and Childhood. The result? A movie score-like string arrangement with a soft, almost operatic pop vocal. Unlike the other more personal songs on the album, Childhood dispenses with the metaphors. It's a frustrated plea for understanding among the ruthless public perception. Like fantastical stories to share, the dreams I would dare. Looking to capture the new wave of R&B dominating the charts, Michael sought after more of the hot producers at the time, one of which included Babyface, who along with L.A. Reid had collaborated with Michael during the previous album sessions and were, at the time, considered Jam and Lewis's production rivals. Many of the songs he would bring to the table were considered not suitable for Michael, with the exception of On The Line. have a place on history, but it would be released in the Spike Lee film Get On The Bus, and 12 years later on the Ultimate Collection box set. Listening to it, it's easy to tell why there wasn't enough room for another competitor. Coming off the blockbuster success of Aaliyah's Age Ain't Nothing But A Number album, R. Kelly was called in to contribute. Another day has gone, I'm still all alone, how could this be? You're not here with me 
The result would be the contemporary ballad of the album, You Are Not Alone. It was a song that he presented, and uh, I liked it. Actually, we produced this one together. Okay. And um, I mean, it just was a wonderful song. Well, I, I loved it. Initially, the song was a standard R&B slow jam, featuring a guide vocal from Kelly doing his best Michael Jackson impersonation. Jackson, along with longtime collaborator Steve Piccaro, added their own little flourishes throughout, including a few that didn't make it to the final version. later be sued for plagiarism in 2007 for a song composed in 1993 titled If We Can Start Over. Belgian courts ruled in favour of the prosecution, Eddie and Danny Van Passel, who now own the rights to the song in their home country. You Are Not Alone is no longer allowed to be broadcasted in Belgium. History, Past, Present and Future Book One would be released on June 16, 1995. It would give rise to six singles, most of which would reach a number one and spawn as many music videos. Aside from the first of two discs being a greatest hits compilation of Jackson's previous four albums, the second could be regarded in a similar manner, with five of the songs having had their inception before the 1994 sessions and it containing a wide diversity of genres and themes. While still on tour in 1997, Blood on the Dance Floor History in the Mix was released. It featured the title track and Ghosts, produced by Teddy Riley during the Dangerous Sessions, Superfly Sister by Brian Loren from around the same period, a Jam and Lewis outtake from History titled Is It Scary, and Morphine Would Finally Have Its Place. Following the five new tracks, eight remixes from the History album singles would constitute this release as a remix album. For fans and casual listeners though, the price of admission is thoroughly justified by the five opening songs. The track Ghosts, like its film, contains all of the elements of a Michael Jackson classic. Beginning as an instrumental in the early 90s produced by Teddy Riley, it was resurrected once again during the history sessions for further work by Renee Moore and Bruce Wadian.
instrumental would remain mostly the same from that additional work until its release, but Jackson still needed to record his vocals and write the song. What's perhaps most interesting about this early guide vocal is the amount of room bleed. Michael was touring when the development of Blood on the Dance Floor History in the Mix began, so for many of the songs, he was recording in hotel rooms. The demo is a perfect example of how Michael develops his music. He begins by mumbling his way through the melody, which he's constructed in his head. In this next demo, he seems to have most of the words figured out and is back recording in a studio. Not that that stops him from eating while still on mic. Eventually, Ghosts would be completed in time for the movie, although even at this point, the mix was still experimented with. In an early cut of the film, the version featured a bass line, extra guitar, and a multitude of alternate sounds. In an album full of unexpected explorations and engagement for Michael, yet another would close it out. In the early sessions between Jackson and David Foster, they found themselves sitting at a piano, struggling to write. That's when they began discussing mutual music loves. Charlie Chaplin composed Smile in 1936 as an instrumental theme for his movie Modern Times. 18 years later, lyrics would be added by John Turner and Jeffrey Parsons to be sung by Nat King Cole. Smile for your heart is aching Smile even though it's breaking When there are clouds in the sky you get by if you smile with your fear and sorrow smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through
standing ovation once they realised Jackson was singing along with them live, he would record a further 14 takes in the studio, each as perfect as the last. That's the time you must keep on trying Smile was the use of crying Can't you see that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. Without his emotive songwriting, without his impeccable dancing, without his accompanying innovative visuals, this is Michael Jackson. The perfect entertainer. La da da, la da da, la da da, la da da, la da 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 Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.